Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. My name is Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge. And I'm very excited about today's guest, Tamson, Dr. Tamson Roy Barker. And if you're not familiar with her or her work, she's an evolutionary anthropologist known for her original research on baboon social structure and evolution. She is the author of Teaming, How Nature's Oldest Teams Adapt and Thrive, a category-busting number one bestseller on Amazon in organizational learning and other categories. It's widely regarded as the defining work on organizational biomimicry, which is an organizational structure and process that is based on nature's proven solutions. So I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit in today's conversation. And so Tamson, welcome to Conversations at the Edge. And uh, where are you calling in from today? Hi, Alex. I'm calling in from San Diego. So with that, I want to jump in, but I kind of want to start from the beginning. You know, your life's work is really about understanding how we can design our lives and our companies to align more deeply with the environment. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this and kind of how you decided to dedicate your life to, to thinking about how nature and, and organizations kind of mesh um, together. Yeah, well, I, I uh, was always super into animals, you know, I was really inspired by Jane Goodall. And I just love that she went into their world, these chimpanzees world, and she kind of earned their trust and they let her into their world, like their community. She didn't say, now you're going to be in my zoo, you know, she went to their world. So that really inspired me. And especially because I'm, you know, first generation immigrant, um, just trying to naturalize to place and belong and do things together. So that was my kind of motivation of like trying to figure out what kind of animal are we and how is it that we like to be so that we can design our world to, you know, maximize our potential. So that's, that's really what's driven me. Awesome. And, you know, one of the things that I, I saw in your newer work, and um, you talked about this previously as well, is that you believe humans, you know, we, we've often kind of compared humans evolving from uh, chimpanzees, but you're saying that humans might actually be more like ants and honeybees in the way that we cooperate. Um, and you use a term called superorganism uh, in terms of their cooperation and collaboration. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what is a superorganism and how you kind of see us fitting more into the world of the ants and the honeybees. Sure. Well, we definitely like as anthropologists, we come in and we look at, oh, well, humans are just really smart chimpanzees. But what I found looking in the field and watching these baboons and other kinds of primates is that we're really not like them in the way that they are out for themselves, their own reproductive fitness. But in ants and honeybees, they depend on each other fundamentally. You know, it's one queen that does all the reproduction for the colony and the workers are all doing their different things. Everybody's unique and independent and creative. And I was like, that, that's really much more how we are. Um, it does take a village to reproduce our futures. And so we've here, we've designed our whole world from this like Darwinian perspective of, you know, survival of the fittest. But in reality, our species is more like ants or honeybees where we just really do fundamentally depend on one another. So we, it's a mismatch between the way that we're designing our world because we have these pre, you know, preconceptions about what we are. 
So how do you teach leaders to use this idea of like being a, sur- a super organism to like collaborate and elevate our ourselves, our teams, our organizations, our communities? Yeah. Well, so if you look at the deep patterns of the way the super organisms work, they really rely on this collective intelligence, which depends on everyone being, you know, unique, diverse, and independent, autonomous. Um, but we don't have that in our work. You know, we're told what to do with their standards, there's best practices, all these things that constrain us. So we that's where we lose the potential of our super organisms. So I think if companies can be thinking about, okay, what if my organization is a super organism? That's what it wants to be. Um, how do we do that? It's how do we facilitate the collective intelligence that allows us to naturally adapt to change? You say few have local biocultural, biocultural expertise, and we've been severed and stolen with little shared purpose or innovative uh, or innovation for anything we're not paid to do. Mm. So, uh, and yet many of us feel inadequate and unseen in the absence of caring mentors, peers, et cetera. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about like this drive to be seen and heard and communicative, but mm-hmm. we're not necessarily getting that in, in our organizations today. Uh, so if you go back and you look at, let's say, healthy human um, communities, uh, which, you know, traditional foragers have been living like that for 5 million years. So we'll say that worked, right? So we'll call that healthy. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you look at the way they live, they are um, really working hard to maintain that commons where everyone is free to be themselves and diverse and um, all the things that they, you know, their unique gifts. And so here we are, we're like trying to design our companies, but we don't have a shared purpose that's naturally coming out. We've imposed it. Our company is going to do this. You are going to do this job. Um, but if you, in, in a super organism, they share a purpose naturally because it's their future. It's their community's future. It's their future generations. And so everything stems from that. So what we've done, basically, if you think about it, it's, you know, the last days of the Roman empire, everything we do is based on these best practices for extracting communities and extracting labor um, because it really came out of things like slavery and colonialism and extraction of other people's communities. And we forget that, you know, because we're just trying to, um, you know, make money, right? We're just trying to run our businesses and scale up and all these things. But we forget that uh, these are all designed to extract from others. And so if you want to design super organisms that naturally have this collective intelligence and swarm creativity and all this powerful stuff, um, it really comes down to this shared purpose. Like if everybody was like, yes, all into their community, to their organization's purpose, we wouldn't have to tell anyone what to do. They would just do it and they would do it uniquely in the way that they do it and all those things. So um, I just spend my time looking at the way that super organisms like us naturally do their best and see if we can kind of match our conditions to that so that we can make change fast, effectively. So I'm, I'm curious um, if you can share an example of like a, a typical 
working style or working environment that you would deem unnatural to the natural world versus what that same situation might look like if it were transformed into something that was more like biomimicry based. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get all these companies that are global and we put, you know, we figure out the best numbers to scale up to, you know, the the best. Um, But in reality, you know, living systems work by maximizing diversity because that's the potential for adapting to the future. So we, our structures are systematically removing that, um, suppressing that kind of noise and diversity because we want efficiency. We want that, you know, and so we're designing, we're designing for efficiency, which actually removes the diversity, which is the potential for adapting. So here we're in a situation where all these things are happening really fast and we have to adapt all the time, but we've lost the raw feedstock for that because we suppressed all the diversity, Um, you know, and then all the things that go with that of like, when you go to work, you don't bring your whole self and you, you know, you share, you, you know, you're really there to maximize your pay and your family's potential and all that. But what if, we worked because we believed in a shared purpose, you know, then you don't have to tell people what to do. Then people are empowered. And then it seems to me, all these things that we're trying to accomplish, you know, climate change or poverty or all these things that are so hard, or even just CEOs that say it's hard to transform. um, These structures in place would allow people to transform from within. So, you, you mentioned, you know, organizations are scaling by creating efficiencies, thus depleting diversity from within. How does nature scale if, it, if not through efficiencies? How are you seeing nature do that? Well, in super organisms, they do, they are scaling, right? I mean, like some of these places, uh, like a termite mine might have 10 million individuals in there. And nobody's telling them what to do, but they're doing these incredible complex things of air conditioning their mounds and all of this. And, and how do they do it? It is um, just pursuing their individual, you know, uniqueness, but also it's this tied to the locality of the place. You know, they are working together to, because they have to exchange, they are actually investing in other players in the ecosystem. So the whole ecosystem is getting richer and that's increasing the potential um, for everyone. So, yeah, you see these, you know, overlapping purposes and everybody's got their own individual thing. But what you see like in a honeybee hive, um, some of the bees start producing eggs, which is considered um, like cheating on their social contract and other bees come along and remove those. And so it's this kind of distributed leadership where everybody's maintaining the accountability for everybody else. There's no top-down plan um, and that kind of thing, but it's very localized. And so when you're talking about scaling up, um, we know that humans can really only manage 150 relationships um, with the politics and the trust and all that. Uh, And then the other thing you see in like ants and honeybees, they work in these little trios. And so it's these net, it's this team of teams. It's a network team of these specialized teams 
that um, they are able to maintain some kind of whole and shared purpose, but they can all go to work on their own thing. Is there a way in which, you know, if, if we have people being their own authentic selves, like how do we, how do we make sure that people are in fact working towards the, you know, the good of the business rather than working towards the good of themselves. Like if, if it's kind of like self-managed and peer to peer managed in that way, how, like what are the, the, the ways in which, yes, I don't want to call it survival of the fittest, but like those people no longer are part of the organization and the others are. Right. Well, they're okay. So there's always parasitism in nature. So there's always, you know, the individuals that are working to, um, you know, continue these ideas or this way of life into the future. But there's always parasites in nature that are trying to kind of steal that uh, collective value. It's just a different strategy. We can put on moral concepts to that, but that's just a, those both strategies work. And so we're always played by that. Um, and so the smaller your networks get, like if we work in 150, um, and that comes from um, primatology uh, observations of Dunbar's number, you may have heard of that, but these, you know, they've looked at different species of primates and how big their brains are relative to how many people or individuals are in their networks. And for humans, that's just how, how our brains can handle that much. And so, but here we work in these global, like Walmart and da da da, like all over the world. So there's no structures for maintaining trust, and there's no structures for um, coming to shared purpose. So what I see as the potential is here's all these companies trying to do all these things, especially entrepreneurs working in um, local towns or local communities. Um, that the shared purpose is there, you know, in those things. And so if CEOs can start to double down on that, like what really motivates people? What do they care about? What do they want to go to work on? Um, so I see that con like conscious capitalism is going to evolve in this way because the more purpose-centered we can make our work and the smaller our networks can be so our trust is there you know, collectively distributed protecting from parasitism. Um, it seems to me that we can go to work on all these things very quickly. It's a structural problem. So on the same topic, uh, you shared that Darwin also observed that life avoids wasting energy on competition uh, and saying it's a good way to get worn out or get killed. Instead, they go for the low hanging fruit and let the water flow downhill. What can we take from that? Well, I see that all the time in nature. You know, I mean, I'm a surfer. And so sometimes I see the dolphins surfing the waves with me. And, you know, I, what I'm struck by is that they're surfing for free on energy that already exists, patterns that are already in the world. And so I think that um, some, a lot of strength comes from just observing what's trying to already be and then surfing for free on those patterns. And so you know, we're all on this planet. We all experience the same gravity and seasons and all these things uh, that every other creature experiences too. 
So looking at their solutions that are proven over what, 4 billion years um, is a pretty, you know, that's a, that's a proven solution set. So uh, that's how I think about that. You share that life's abundance and resilience are the product of three things, diversity, exchange, and opportunity. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that means to you and how we see this kind of taking shape in our organizations? Sure. Well, we know, I mean, as an evolutionary biologist, the amount of uh, the speed of adaptability, the capacity to adapt is the limiting function on that is how much diversity there is. So you have to increase the diversity in order to increase evolutionary potential and then the exchange. So like I'm saying, all these individuals are becoming more and more unique and specialized and um, really exquisitely designed for their uh, way of life. Um, but as that happens, they still have the needs. And so they start investing in their partners. They start investing in these exchanges um, because that increases their resilience. They, can, they might have multiple partners that can provide the same services. So they invest in that redundancy and that resilience, that robustness. Um, and that's what you see across the board. So it seems to me that if we can, um, you know, spread these awarenesses of these deep patterns of the way that life likes to work, we can tap into that and we can serve for free on it. Because what's happening is, you know, individuals are not trying to force, they're not trying to to be the best or any of that, they actually move away from it. And there's these like walking palms in, in the Amazon. And if they don't have the light, they kind of walk away from it and they find a better spot. That's the way nature is doing all the time. So this whole idea that we have of being the best and figuring out the one number um, and all that, that's just not, so it's, it's really the diversity is the raw feedstock for the change and the adaptation and all the good things we want. Any final thoughts or things you want to leave uh, the community with and, or, or pondering as, as we move forward with our, uh, our days, weeks, months, and, and year? Mm-hmm. Well, I just think that this is a really powerful way um, to look at your existing challenges. You know, you can put, you can look at it through a very different perspective, but one that is proven, right? Like, cause these animals and organisms successfully survive. So we know they have the answers. Um, and we're animals too. So we know they have something relevant for us in our design. But I think that the really exciting uh, opportunities in our time is that we're starting to see this and we're starting to understand that we are living things and living systems are complex. And you have to start exploring these in that different mindset because so much of it was imposed on us, you know. So much of our employees and the people we work for have traumatic histories, you know, from migration and severance and slavery and colonialism and all the other things. Um, and so I think we really have this great opportunity to reconnect to our human nature and design a world that lets us fulfill our role in the living world. You know, we didn't evolve to take it all. We evolved as part of it. So um, I think it's really exciting. I think it's hopeful and I think it's super juicy. I have a lot of different, um, uh, I mean, this sounds kind of high level philosophical, but in reality, we actually have a lot of um, processes and methodologies for 
systematically exploring this in people's businesses. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.